You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. I'm honest with myself. Like I, when I look at something that's troubling me, for some reason I'm able to look at it and say, okay, this is something that is not benefiting me. Not that it's not benefiting me, but it's never, ever going to benefit me. Because that's the difference. Like when I looked at my drinking and my drug use, it was like, this is never going to get better. It's only gotten worse. And so did you just say, I'm going to go to an AA meeting or did you stop cold? Yeah. So this is tricky because this is a public forum. So one of AA's traditions is that you're not supposed to like represent AA at a public level. How would I know that? I don't really know. I'm not at liberty. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> But, but you know, what... and, the, and the reason is because I'm an individual. I don't represent AA at all. I'm an, an individual that benefited from the 12 steps. So I don't claim to purport that this is the way, this is the only way. This way worked for me, and I've seen it work for many others. But I'm sure there's other ways to stop and stay stopped, which is the hard part. And then you mentioned you started working on yourself in other ways. What are some of those ways? Just in my actions. Like, my, I realized how much my actions affect how I feel. I always acted how I felt instead of feeling how I act. And I realized early on, like, 
there's two beings that act how they feel all the time, babies and animals. And I don't want to be a baby or an animal anymore. I want to be an adult with a fully developed prefrontal cortex that I can be proud of and like stand by, you know? But it took a lot of time and I'm still working on it. I think that's something I'll be working on until, until I'm gone. Uh, no, I really enjoy your your uh, think um, think tank podcasts because, well, we'll talk about it in the in the thing. <laughs> that's just it. Is everything I want to talk to you about? We might as well just talk about while we're recording. Of course, that's why I started the podcast. <laughs> I kind of much. don't have new conversations with people anymore unless it's being recorded. That's the problem with doing a podcast. I know you try to save everything, right? So, so I've got on Tank Sinatra, who. Is I want to say you're you're world famous, and yet many of my listeners might not know who you are. So I'll say, give an intro. You have um, y- you're like the master of making viral memes on Instagram. You have one point. You've you've built up from nothing. You had one point. You have one point seven million Instagram followers now. You also have another uh, account, Tanks Good News, right mm-hmm. on Instagram. Yeah. It's got one point one uh, million Instagram followers. Uh, 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 every one of your posts is uh, Instagram posts is so funny. You get you know hundreds of thousands of likes on them. They're hilarious. Uh, you you all we've also run into each other doing stand up comedy. You're doing stand up comedy. Just an an all around funny person. Although I, I feel like you direct. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the the guess that you direct most of that creativity into your Instagram memes and some of it to the passion in stand up. But but you actually also have quit your job to just do Instagram stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. It's my life had turned out not at all like what I thought it was going to. It wasn't looking good for well, a while. So that's two that's two separate statements. Uh <laughs> uh what did you what did you you were working at like a fencing company. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's my I guess that would be considered my second life. My first life I was a a, a drunk drug addicted disaster of a human being. It was it literally looked like maybe I was going to die today, if not today, maybe tomorrow. And, and like, I don't know, like you grew up in Long Island, right? Yeah. What, 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 what triggered, was it just like hanging out with your friends in high school? Like, no, I drinking? think like if they, they, some people I've, I've met that are sober, are like I was born with this problem. I was born an alcoholic. The, I mean, the, from the first time I drank, it was a disaster. But what it, what looking back, what that tells me is that I had a tremendous amount of energy. I was just pointing it in the wrong direction. And then once I was able to arrest that issue, and aim my energy in another direction, my life got really good. And then very recently it got even better, which I didn't think was possible. It's like every time I check, my Why life Why do you say very better. recently it got better? Like the last three years with the whole Instagram thing right. and being able to quit my job. Like I've always wanted to do comedy for a living, but I was too scared to do stand-up until recently because it hurts when people don't laugh. Like it really sucks. So Instagram was a way for me to kind of keep a buffer between me and the rejection. Like if a post doesn't do well, you do, feel bad a little bit but it's not like that gut reaction where you're like man i should all the everything when i so 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 i write articles every day and i've been yep. doing that since like uh 2000 or 2001 yep and but around 2009 i started posting m- much more deeply personal and vulnerable and transparent articles on facebook and other social media platforms and if i didn't get the like, I knew how many likes I should have gotten on it's a the good worst article. Part. Yeah. I did feel bad and particularly like an article, and maybe this is true for an Instagram post too, an article, it's like I'm pouring my my blood into it and it's a story about me. And so if it doesn't get the likes, 
I just, I would get really upset at myself. I got over that to be honest, oh, you but, have it, to. but it lasted for a couple of years, that feeling. Yeah, it does. It, it's hard to shake, but that's why I had a hard time in the beginning with my Instagram pages. Cause I was one of, I wasn't the first cause there was, there's somebody that I have in mind who like I looked up to when I started making memes. I mean, yeah. And, and there's some famous ones and you, and you knew you, you were working with fat Jewish and um, there's also the famous fuck Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys were aggregate accounts where they would just find stuff and post it. So if you find something on the internet and post it and it doesn't do well, it doesn't really hurt. It's just like, oh, that sucks. I got to find another post. But if you create a meme or a joke based on something that happened in your life that you think people are going to find relatable and funny and then you post it and it bombs, it's like, fuck, what am I doing here? Yeah. So, okay, we're going to get back to that because I want to – I so at 20 – I guess you've been sober like 16 years? 16 years, yeah. So, so uh, around the age of 22, you decided to, hey – well, like, was there a rock bottom moment? Was there like that classic cliched rock bottom moment? There wasn't. Um, I mean, I had some major catastrophic events in my life, but those don't really do the trick. What happens is you, just a slow grinding away of your soul and your person becomes apparent. And you're like, I have maybe three more, three more um, like energy boosts where I can like maybe bounce back from it. But I was, I, I feel like I was getting close to the end. And then after I got sober, nine months after that, the guy who I was the closest with that I did the most partying with died of a drug overdose. So it wow. was like, man, maybe I was even closer than I thought. Who knows? Can I ask what, and this is a really stupid question. No stupid questions. <laughs> this one might be. But <laughs> what actually is a drug overdose? Like what happens? Because the way you say it, I assume it's by an accident. Yeah. You can do it and, and with the intent to kill yourself, and I understand that. But what is an accidental drug overdose? Well, as fate would have it, I just found this out like two days ago from a friend of mine, which is really interesting to me because you're sitting here asking me now, and now I can say it publicly. I'm not a doctor. Let me preface what I'm saying by saying that. Oh, I thought but, I thought you were a doctor. You're, no, should I leave? You're bulked up and jacked <laughs> like every other doctor I know, and you've got tattoos all over. Very and doctor. And you're on Instagram all day, like most of the doctors I know. Yeah, I'm not a medical doctor. <laughs> so essentially, opioids slow your breathing down to the point where your brain doesn't get enough oxygen, so your brain stops working. And then what happened with my friend Mike was he probably choked on some of his spit because his brain wasn't making it swallow it. Then he threw up, and then he choked on that. So like I've napped in my car hundreds of times. And when I'm at that angle, sometimes when I'm falling asleep, I'll choke on my spit. Like I'll find my, I'll wake up coughing and like, like I can't catch my breath. I have to imagine that's kind of what happened, but his brain wasn't on. So it didn't trigger the same thing it triggers in me or anybody else normal who's like, oh, my, my body's not getting oxygen. I should probably violently shake about so that this problem fixes itself. So you're, 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 it slows down your breathing, which I've experienced on drugs. When I was doing drugs, I experienced that really, really slow breathing. But I guess it goes past that point where it's relaxing and you're dead. Like you ever and really- And maybe you're asleep, so you're not noticing it. You're, you're- Like, do you think he noticed and he panicked? You're probably more passed out than you are asleep. Like, it, like almost unconscious. So, okay. Cause, cause I was wondering, cause, so this is many years ago and I've never talked about this, but- one time I had a, a large supply of opiates given to me by a doctor who probably shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, he was a he was a cancer doctor, so for him to prescribe that was not noticeable mm -hmm. by the pharmacies. And I was in a really bad relationship. This is a very long, long time ago. And 
we were drinking and taking the opiates. Yeah. And, you know, it's like some painkiller. And it wasn't really affecting me or I didn't feel like it was affecting me. So I just, I didn't know it. And also I didn't know this about overdoses. So I think I maybe took like 10 yeah. of these pills and then, and we were drinking like all day. And the next morning I woke up and I like, I, I wasn't breathing. And I, uh, I thought it was like maybe like a panic attack. That's how people describe a panic attack sometimes. Yeah. So I decided to just, I just like calm down, like in a meditation sort of way and just like try to just slowly breathe through it. And I breathe through it obviously, but I was wondering if that is the direction, is that, that was like the direction of an overdose. Yeah. I mean, it's oxygen. You're oxygen without oxygen, your body ceases to exist pretty quickly. And that happens with the opiates. With the brain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From what I understand, any I, I could be talking out of my ass right now. I don't know. We'll we'll find out. I'm sure somebody will tell us if I'm wrong. <laughs> Tweeters out there. Uh, somebody will let us know. So so well, what were the disasters that were happening before that? That might have that maybe you were trying to fill some some gap. Um, just like wrecked relationships, car crashes, f getting fired from jobs, just all the stuff that happens when your primary purpose is to be drunk. You know, so uh, when I came in, when I got sober, somebody said to me, try and think of the worst thing that ever happened while you were drinking. And then how soon after that were you drinking? So in my case, I got into a car accident after I stole my father's car. I crashed into a tree on a parkway. If my, if the accelerator was depressed another half an inch, maybe I'm dead. I, I have no idea. That's why I feel very lucky to be alive always. But I drank that night because it was like, oh man. What are we talking about? Ancient history here? That was this morning. <laughs> That's not going to happen again. What are so, the chances so of that? Were you drunk during the accident? Oh, so drunk. Mm -hmm. Every time I drank, I was just super drunk. There was no, like my wife now will say, uh, like, I'm going to go meet my friend for a drink. Like I have can say with full honesty, I've never done that in my entire life. I went out drinking like it was a sport for hours like it was an activity unto itself to to imbibe, but I never went out for a drink ever. Do you ever um, read the Buka Charles Bukowski book uh, Hollywood? No. So Bukowski, who was a notorious alcoholic, and mm -hmm. he writes all about it in his poetry and and his excellent excellent novels. Um, his novels are more memoir than novel. But in Hollywood, he writes about the pr when they were making a movie called Barfly, starring Mickey O'Rourke, about mm -hmm. Bukowski, uh, and he was brought on set once and he says to his wife, this is totally fake. And she said, how do you know? And he said, look, these alcoholics are sometimes leaving, you know, the people playing the extra alcoholics were sometimes leaving the bar with their, there would be like a half inch of alcohol still <laughs> yeah. in the glass. That would never happen with a real alcoholic. That's a good indicator. Yeah, for sure. That way he's right. He's absolutely a hundred percent right. That's something you hear about all the time. People like that was for, from what I understand, that's most young people, like people who drink young, most of their first time drinking was finishing off drinks at a party that their parents brought them to or something, mm -hmm. which is ironic because then you never wind up leaving a drink anywhere. Like I never, I don't think I left a drop of alcohol in any bottle or glass I ever started from the time I drank. I, I didn't drink for that long. That's why I'm, I think that's why I'm, here today is because, uh, not here at this podcast, but just here on this earth is because it happened very quickly. There was no denying it. There's no way, there's no point in my history that I can look back and go, it wasn't that bad then. Like it was bad from the get-go, which sucked at the time, but I feel very fortunate today because I meet people who 
they don't get sober till they're 40, 50, but their 20s, 30s, and 30 and a halfs were okay. Mine was like 14, boom, 15, boom, 17. How did you survive high school with that? So I only drank three times in high school because I knew that I, if I started, I would be, I would be over you before I started. You had sense already. This is just too good for you. 14, I drank, I blacked out. 15, I drank, I blacked out. And at that point, my mom had told me like there's alcoholism in my dad's family and I should be careful. And like, who, like you're five. I was, I remember being like five years old. Who, how could you possibly fathom what that means to have a drinking problem, you know? But once I started, I was like, oh, okay, this is like, I see what she's talking about now. So you, you, you like connected the dots and said, okay, my, I, I know I'm susceptible to this if I've got the gene, cause it's in, it's in the family. Yeah, yeah. Like I have one friend, for instance, his, his, his dad's an alcoholic, three of his brothers are, mm -hmm. but he just isn't at all. Yeah. And he, and they got the gene and he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not a definite, like I have two sons that I think about this thing. Like, are they going to be okay? It's, there are more, it's, there's more than one aspect to it. Obviously there's genetic, genetic, gen, I believe there's a genetic component because there's no reason for me to drink 12, 13, 14 drinks the first time I drank, except the fact that I have the allergy like they talk about. And not an allergy like, oh, I'm itchy, like an allergy being an abnormal reaction to an external stimulus, period. That definition, like, yes, I had a very abnormal reaction. So then you have environmental, you have emotional. So being that I've been sober since I was 22, I've done a ton, uh, like, a ton of work on myself emotionally, spiritually, physically, I have coping mechanisms that I use when stuff rises up that I didn't have growing up through no fault of anybody else's. My parents were doing the best that they could with the tools that they had. So I'm trying to give my sons better tools and they're not going to see me drunk and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to see me passed out on the living room floor and think. Did you see your dad? I didn't see him like that, but I, I remember my mom being scared a couple of times. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember it being a, a problem in the house. There was definitely some, some tension around the subject of drinking. Are your parents still around? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And do you see them? Do you talk to them? Yeah. Yeah. My dad seems to have like calmed down, which is very, like very rare. He either, he doesn't value it as much or he just likes, sometimes people can be very obstinate about their abstinence. Like they don't want to not drink and he does drink, but it just doesn't seem like it's an issue anymore for him. Either that or he hides it. I don't know. No and, idea. And so, so when you were, when you were getting kind of better out of this, well, first off, was there more than just alcohol? Did you start, was that a gateway sort of drug? So it's funny because when I was being taught about drugs, they said that pot was the gateway drug, mm -hmm. but alcohol is 100% the gateway drug. I never smoked weed and was like, let's get some cocaine ever. Alcohol? With alcohol. Oh, for sure. Why alcohol. do you think that is? I don't know. I think, I think weed, which to be honest to this day, I still, I don't think about it and miss it. But if there was like a way that I could use that safely, that's the only thing that I ever think like, man, it would be good to just, but I do that with meditation and breathing and the stuff that people were using before drugs were a thing, like the mystics and shit like that. You know, do you, did you get, uh, did it go deeper? Did you get into like, I don't know, I don't know, co cocaine or a uh, heroin or I did a little bit of cocaine. Um, cocaine for me was, I have heard it described as like a vitamin that allows you to drink more. That's basically what it is because it's really effective for that purpose. I don't enjoy the feeling of my heart about to explode. I don't like that. I want to like chill. 
not feel like I'm dying, you know? But it did allow me to drink more. Heroin, I never tried, thank God. Crack, I never tried, thank God. If crack had crossed my path when I was drinking, I mean, there's a pretty good chance I would have tried it. Mm. So that's, I feel very fortunate for that also. But my, my window was so short that I was able to, like just, I'm a very honest person also. With people around me, not to have, not to like, I don't believe in honesty for the sake of honesty at the expense of other people's feelings. So like radical honesty. Yeah, like you're an asshole. Like yeah. if you're just saying whatever you want at all the time yeah. with no consideration, like that's, you're honestly an asshole. Like I don't think that's, <laughs> that's a good but, bit. but I'm yeah. also honest, I'm honest with myself. Like I, when I look at something that's troubling me, for some reason I'm able to look at it and say, okay, this is something that is not benefiting me. Not that it's not benefiting me, but it's never ever going to benefit me. Cause that's the difference. Like, cause you can have bad runs with certain things, but not feel like this is actually never going to get better. When I looked at my drinking and my drug use, it was like, this is never going to get better. It's only gotten worse. And so did you, uh, just say, I'm going to go to an AA meeting or did you stop cold or, and also when you say you're sober, do you not take Advil? Like do you take, no, pain? I take, I don't take any mind altering substance. Okay. I smoke a little crack every once in a while, but it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really alter the mind that much. Yeah. So this is tricky because this is a public forum. So one of AA's traditions is that you're not supposed to like represent AA at a public level. How would I know that? I don't really know. I'm not at liberty. <laughs> Enough said. But but you know, what... and, the, and the reason is because I'm an individual. I don't represent AA at all. I'm an, an individual that benefited from the twelve steps. So I don't claim to purport that this is the way. This is the only way. This way worked for me, and I've seen it work for many others. But I'm sure there's other ways to stop and stay stopped, which is the hard part. Yeah, like uh, uh, James Frey wrote a million little pieces. In oh it. yeah, you know he. Um, at least in a million little pieces, he writes. He doesn't. He he he. Even though the program he was in in the book was connected to AA, he didn't really. He does. I don't believe he attributes AA to him being sober. I think, you know, he tried a different path. Yeah. And and stay sober. And then and then you mentioned you started working on yourself in other ways. What what are some of those ways? So my physical health was always kind of okay. Like I knew how to work out. I knew how to be disciplined about exercise. Um, then once I got sober, my emotions were in check somewhat. I don't want to like exaggerate. They've, they still could use some work, I'm sure. But just in my actions, like my, I realized how much my actions affect how I feel. I always acted how I felt instead of feeling how I act. And I realized early on, like there's two, there's two beings that act how they feel all the time, babies and animals. And I don't want to be a baby or an animal anymore. I want to be an adult with a fully developed prefrontal cortex that I can be proud of and like stand by, you know, but it took a lot of time and I'm still working on it. I think that's something I'll be working on until, until I'm gone. So like, uh, like an adult who acts like he feels like maybe somebody might get a flash of anger and then start yelling at people. Just lash out. Yeah. No buffer. And, and, and as opposed to sort of saying, Hey, um, taking a step back and saying, Hey, I'm angry, but it'll pass. Maybe I need to think, full circle about this before I act on it. Yeah. And so the, so the work I guess would be, I made it a habit to ingest something positive every day, not multiple times a day if possible. Um, even if I don't feel like I'm ingesting it, even if I don't feel like I remember it because I know that the brain works in mysterious ways and I just want to pollute myself. I polluted myself with negativity for a long time. So I wanted to pollute myself with positivity so that in the event that I need it, maybe my own brain would pull something out that I needed. And it's happened so many times. I read, 
you know, um, once I got sober, I was actually able to benefit from all the beautiful knowledge out there. Because before that, I just it didn't register. It was like another language. I couldn't hear it. Right now, I'm big on Ryan Holiday's Daily Stoic, the emails, the I'm books. I'm having lunch with Ryan next week. I Are will you? tell him that, yeah. I actually, I, he invited me when he was on your podcast a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, but I couldn't make it. I've been dying to meet him for, for years since we connected. Oh, next time he's in the city, I'll definitely, just let, you know, smart, I'm going to Austin. He's a smart guy. He gets it. He understands, like, there's, a, there's certain people, I know he had his work issue, but it seems like certain people just understand that, that obsessive mind and how to wrangle it. And I like to think that I've become one of those people. I may not. I, I feel I've wrangled my own mind and my own mind was one of the most obsessive I've ever seen. So I feel like if I can do it, I can benefit from other people who have done the same like Ryan and uh, Dr. Drew seems to really understand the, the, like the pain that people who are obsessed with whatever they're obsessed with go through. Cause it really does suck. You were talking about panic attacks. I haven't had a panic attack per se, but I've had my own little version of anxiety that manifested itself in ways that I never would have thought it could. Do you go to therapy? Oh yeah. Heavy. That, that, yeah. that helps. <laughs> more, sometimes more than others. Like right now I'm going once every two weeks just because I, I haven't walked in there in a long time and been like, we need to talk about this right now. But I always get something out of it. The guy's great. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I um, I've been seeing the same therapist for almost four years, and I went in for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. um, but when that reason was no longer a problem, yep, I realized that there was just benefit continuing to see her, just because I don't know, just they have this kind of suitcase filled with life strategies or ways to look at things that are always useful to me. And so like, if I'm having any kind of situation where I'm stuck, she always knows the right way to kind of unlock some curiosity for me about what's really happening. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, professional help is the fact that there's stigma around it blows my mind. I, I personally can't believe it because it's so beneficial and it's so valuable, but I do understand why some people might feel weird about opening up about something they've never opened up about before, but you get used to it pretty quick. Yeah. You know? So, so then, so then we're, we're, I guess it's sort of a fast forward, but you, you start working in fences. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Building them or selling them? Um, I was selling them. So you would go up to somebody and say, you know, your neighbor's dog could go over to your house pretty <laughs> easily. And I don't think, and you have a garden here. I don't think you'd like that. Maybe you should put up a pretty thick fence. Yeah. And yeah. they would say, you know, you're right. Yeah, you're right. No, it wasn't too much door to door. The guy that I worked for was a friend and uh, just a, a, like a really brilliant guy in his own way. He wasn't, and he'll be the first to say this, he wasn't book smart. He wasn't, he didn't do well in school. Um, he just, he knows how to make people feel like this is the company I want to use from the logo to the messaging, to the trucks, to the guys he employs, to... The, to everything, it's just, and when he's, when I would watch him sell, I would want to buy the fence from him. I'd be like, you know what? I'll handle this fence. I'm going to buy this fence for you guys. Cause he was so good. He would, he, he would say sales is just a transference of energy period, which I totally believe. Cause if you're excited about what you're selling, if you're excited, it doesn't mean everybody's going to get excited, but they have no chance of getting excited if you're not excited. You know, that's so true. Like there's all these books about sales and, and, you know, what, what, what power words to use and this and that. But I, I know from my own experience, 
you know, I've started like a bunch of different businesses. And my main thing is, is that you have to really believe in the vision. And, and then your, your only job as a salesperson is transfer that vision from your head to the other person's head. Yeah. And since the vision's so strong, you find lots of avenues to do that because you legitimately believe this will help someone's life. And if you don't, you will be a terrible salesperson. Right. So maybe that's not the career for you. But I think if anybody, I also used to feel like if the company that I worked for wasn't perfect from A to Z, then I, I don't want to work for them, which is so arrogant and so stupid. It wasn't that no, I was- No, it's not stupid at all. But all you need to find out is from A to Z, does the person care about D or M or P or T? And then focus on that letter or that characteristic of what you're doing and get them excited about it. It doesn't need to be everything is perfect because no company is perfect. We would have our issues, but competitively, as far as like the material is the material, fence is fence for the most part. I'm sorry, Joe, you know, we, we had the best material obviously, but there are other companies out there with that. But the installation, like it's just the whole process you need to know back to front. And I don't like, I, I could not, James, put up a fence. I sold fence for 10 years. I couldn't put up a fence if you had a gun to my head. That would last for more than three hours. So what made you so passionate about it? I liked him and I liked the company and I liked my free time and I liked making money. So it was a, uh, an, I always liked construction because I liked the feeling, not that I know what it feels like, but the feeling of satisfaction you get when you finish something. I can imagine that feels pretty good. But um, yeah, creating, we're living in such a world of ones and zeros that creating something that changes the physical universe yeah. is like an amazing thing now. And even just to be creative adjacent, to be able to facilitate, like I, my, my view of work is, uh, has kept me going for a long time. And I, I never, I never felt like work was a punishment for needing to eat. Like if you want to eat, you got to work you're in trouble now. You got to put me, I never felt like that. I felt like I have a skill and whoever comes my way that needs the skill, I'm going to convince them that I'm the person that they need to use for that skill. And then like, if you happen to get a pool and now you need a fence, well, I happen to know four guys and a, a girl and another guy who order the material and I can make it happen for you. And that's where, that's like my vision of work is like providing this special skill that I have, whatever that may be. It, when it turned out to be memes. But before that, I was a waiter. And I knew that I felt like if somebody heard about the restaurant, looked online, read the menu, decided to come, made the reservation, called their friends, got off work, went home, got dressed, got excited, picked them up and went to the restaurant, I was not going to be the weak link in that, huh. in that puzzle. I was so, not going to be a bad server. So through all this, it sounds like there's a real disciplined work ethic under underlying all of this, even in the drinking. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, so you kind of, like you said, you kind of transfer that energy into more positive outlets, finally resulting in something that you really got obsessed with and passionate about, which is, you know, delivering joy and happiness and entertainment to people's lives through Instagram memes. Yeah. And so, so when did you create your first Instagram meme and why Instagram? You know what? That's a good question. I, I've, I, it wasn't on purpose. I just feel very fortunate that that was where I hung my hat because Facebook kind of changed. Vine ceases to exist. Snapchat never had the growth that everyone thought it was going to have. Yeah. Then there was one, um, Meerkat 
for a while. I don't know what this is. Then it was uh, Periscope. It's all these, all these things. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many different choices. I feel like Instagram, it's got that right balance of image and ability to communicate. You can't write a million words on Instagram and you can't do it over and over and over again because they want you won't show up. Like the algorithm, they fix that. Everyone has, all the creators that I know have a problem with the algorithm. I love it. I think it's fantastic that they did that. So what do they do? So that if you have something that's a lot of text on a post, it'll kind of go down on the algorithm? Well, it'll show three lines and then it'll say read more, which most people won't. Oh, I see. On the you know, on the caption. On the timeline, yeah. So, so me, me, not text in the graphic, but text on the caption. Yeah. So, so that's very interesting because like on Facebook, I, I, I did notice, I guess a year or so ago, oh, Instagram, there's so much more engagement uh, yeah, per follower than, than Facebook. And it's, I'm a writer, so it kind of disappointed me a little bit. So I started playing around with, well, what if I just write slightly shorter posts and put, you know, and, and I always had a photo with my Facebook posts. I'll just put the photo on Instagram and then I'll make, put the post on, put the post on Instagram on the caption. But uh, you're right. It doesn't work as well. You can't really use Instagram to write articles. It's really there for yeah. just photos and a caption. And and but they also recognize text in the photo. Do you think that affects the algorithm? I mean, it could. It definitely could. I've I've heard a million different things of. I've heard a million different possible explanations to why stuff doesn't do well. I've been I've been guilty of it myself. I'm complaining the algorithm is not showing my content. It's not showing my content, and then uh, the second post, the third. Oh man, I'm just gonna I'm I'm not gonna do this anymore. Then the fourth post crushes, and I'm like, oh my content sucked for a little while. Yeah, because okay, it seemed got it. This is why I always even like ten years ago, people would tell tell me for my articles like, what are you doing for SEO? Like, you know, you're, it seems like you're dominating, and I I don't even. I said to them, I wouldn't even, I don't even know what SEO stands for. <laughs> like, if you don't have good content, SEO is not going to build your brand. Irrelevant. Like, yeah. right. So the only way to really build up is content and, and people liking you. Yeah. <laughs> not and even I, your content. They have to like you. I, I 100% agree with that. And I think that consistency and authenticity are two words that I've, I've thought about multiple times a day for the last three or four years, just making sure. Because if I'm not being authentic, there's no way I can be consistent with that. And if I'm not authentic, then the people who are following me are actually getting duped a little bit, and they're going to find out eventually that I'm not the person that I claim to be. Right, because I think, I think also when I look through your, you know, pages and pages of Instagram posts or, you know, scrolling down, um, the authenticity authenticity comes out because what you're authentic about those are the things you know and care deeply about so you're able to kind of find the humor and connecting ideas yeah. so 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 correct correct me if i'm wrong you're you're the expert so i want to learn it seems like a great meme so so just actually let, let, let's back up for a second Where, when did you start making the memes I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. 
But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop. Really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger 
eating handfuls of thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag, taking a bite out of an irresistibly bold block of extra-sharp cheddar cheese. (sighs) We know you want to get back to streaming, but wasn't it nice to daydream about cheese for a bit? Tillamook Cheddar. Extraordinary Dairy. Okay, um, so the first one, I don't remember the exact date, but it was sometime late, mid to late 2015 or so, mm-hmm. close, maybe closer to into 16. So you had a few Instagram followers and- Yeah. Uh, like how many? I think at that point I had, when I started making them, I think I had maybe about, maybe less than 50,000, but I was reposting memes at that point because the fat Jewish- Kind of took me under his wing and was hooking me up left and right. He's got a bad what rap. What do you mean, ho- hooking you up left and right? Tagging me in the caption, tagging me. Every time he tagged me, I get 2,500, 3,000 followers. And he uh. did it a lot. He did it like two or three times a week for a year. Uh. So it was like, it just, my page exploded. Because you were providing memes for him. Yeah. Um, were you creating them or just kind of look, searching the internet and, si- and sending them to him? So originally, um, I was just searching and, and sending that to him. I was on Reddit a lot. So like someone on Reddit would post a funny picture and you you would just forward that to him and say, hey, this is a, fl- a funny picture. Yeah, yep. How did, that, you, how did you define funny? Like what was funny to you? Because you would see like thousands of pictures. Yeah, I would see a lot. Um, I don't know. Like I, I'm I'm a pretty normal guy for the most part. I think my my sense of humor and my taste is pretty, pretty 80%, pretty bell curvy. It's not like I have this fringe sense of humor on either side. So I just, if it, if I thought it was cute and not cute in the sense of a puppy, but like, oh, cute. Like that's, they made an attempt at humor. And it, even though I didn't laugh out loud, I understand it. And I would send it to somebody. Um, I would collect those and, I, and then I would send them to him. And he would post f- three or four a day. And, and or tag so. you. Yeah. Not every post. Like he would do it a couple of times a week. Cause then it looks like, it looks crazy. It's right. actually a diminishing return after a certain point. So yeah. he knew what he was doing. That guy is, you know, People like him. How many how many Instagram followers does he have now? He's got ten point four million. Wow. Okay. And fuck Jerry has fourteen million. Which is, you know, there's a little bit of uh, heat on on both of those guys, especially recently, because people are really starting to understand that there's there's a living to be made on Instagram if you're smart about it and savvy. Um, yeah. And a lot of people on Instagram that make their money through sponsored posts or by launching businesses with their huge platforms have made the platform, have created the platform off of the content of other people. So I can't say anything because those guys both help me, Fat Jewish way more, um, but I've never been reposted without credit. And I think that for the people who, there's a lot of people who write one joke and they hang their hat on that and they're like, that's the joke. That's the one that's gonna make me. That's never going to happen. No one of nothing is ever going to make anybody. So I understand why they get upset, but it's like my answer to them, even though they never asked me, would be be funnier more often, more prolifically, write more jokes. You know, if you really want to be known as somebody who provides the world with humor, don't get so hung up on that one one joke. I'm not saying they should be okay with it, but to, to stifle their own creativity at the expense of, you know, to try and hurt somebody else for stealing their content just seems counterproductive. It seems a little silly. Like, what me. do you mean? Like they're, uh, they wrote one joke and then they start. Like they just, uh, they put their foot down. They're like, that's it. I'm not writing any more jokes huh. until that one gets credited. Huh. And then they get credited and they see, 
a, a, a small trickle of followers because the post is a week old or whatever. And on the internet, nobody cares about anything for more than a week. Yeah. Even like the, the craziest shit, just nobody talks about it ever again. It's insane. It's good and it's bad. It's, it's good if you're the person with the heat on you, but it's bad if you're trying to make a real movement happen. So, so you started, and then, so after sending so many to like Fat Jewish and others, did you say to yourself, I've got my own take on this, I should do this for yeah. myself? Yeah, basically one day I was looking for content to send to the Fat Jewish and I couldn't find anything that I thought was good enough to send to him. So I started back at the top. I started. I started at the top. I went to the bottom. I was like, "There's nothing here today. There's nothing good enough." Like that would that would even pass me because I was a filter for him. I would filter out a lot of the garbage, and then he would even filter further. So if I sent him forty things, he wasn't going to post forty things. He would pick three or four. So I saw some pictures that I a caption popped into my head, and I went back and found it, and then went on Twitter. I asked somebody, "How do you make a meme?" Just like everybody else, I I had to ask somebody, "How do you do it?" And, uh, and they told me and I made my first meme and it was, it got, it, when that one did well, when that meme did well, I, I, I don't know. There, there was a, that was a good feeling. That was like, well, oh, well, maybe I'm funnier than like, I think. What was the, well, so, so, so the unique thing you were doing is rather than just reposting a picture, uh, you, you, did you have the, uh, the joke first, the caption first, and then you found a picture to fit it? No, it was normally, I would see the picture and it would spur some kind of memory in my brain. And I would and I would humorize it or make it funny. And, and again, the picture is something that resonated with you. Like, for instance, you must love dogs, right? Because of there's a lot of pictures of dogs, so it's authentic to you. And then the caption might be something, you know, again, authentic to you. Like, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of. I'm I'm looking through your feed right now. Uh, there's one that Ellen just reposted that that was an old one of mine. Oh, is it the egg and Ellen tomorrow and Ellen? Or no, no, no. That was pretty funny though. Yeah, that was uh, that I was proud of. It's like if if I can see any kind of emotion in the picture at all, I'll I'll key in on it. Like when a quick story that is it's weird of me to tell, but I'm going to tell it anyway. When I was young, I took an IQ test because I punched some kid in the back of the head. So I got sent to the psychologist. So funny that the punishment for a, a punch is- <laughs> Go get must checked take, out. <laughs> you, must take a, must, you must take an IQ test. Yeah, you might be too dumb to be in this school. <laughs> no, I got sent to the psychologist and the psychologist was like, all right, part of the, part of the thing is I'm going to take it, give you an IQ test. And part of the IQ test, I guess they were doing an emotional intelligence thing back then before it was an actual quotient that they were that they could figure out. I don't know if they do that yet, but he he counted that into my IQ. And I'm scared to get my IQ done now because I know it's going to be lower. But back then, when I was six, it was a 130, mm -hmm. which is I, I don't I don't think I would even come close to that it's today. Like a genius. Yeah. So I'm not going to take another IQ test. I'll sit with that one. <laughs> But he showed me a picture of an old woman and an old man, and the man was standing behind the woman, and the woman was sitting on the couch, and the man had his hand on her shoulder. And she was looking down, and he said, what do you think is happening in this picture, or what do you see in this picture? And I imagine, like my son today, now is six, he would say some something like, I don't know, grandma, grandpa, whatever, I don't know, watching TV. Huh. I somehow was able to create this whole story around their life that, was long and like depth. It had depth to it. And there was emotion. I, I pictured them going through something that I don't remember if I said like their kid just moved out and they're sad and trying to figure out how they're going to spend their days. It was some deep shit for a six year old. But when I look at a picture now, I guess that same mechanism gets triggered. 
Right. So you feel you, you look at a picture and, and some pictures come across not necessarily as funny, but as there, there's layers in here. There's a, there's a, yeah. there's a story behind this photo. I'm always looking for the story. And then, and then, and then combined with that, you take some other concept that is, is funny to you that could be applied to this picture and kind of the melding of, of a caption that you come up with, with this photo that seems to have these deeper layers that creates the meme. Yeah. And, and the caption has to be such that it's maybe hitting one of these layers that the average person doesn't realize it's there. But once you say the caption, it all gets connected and it's kind of funny. Yeah, they get it. Or it is very funny. And so, they, I, I think memes are so popular because it's like, if I have 1.7 million followers, it's like everyone likes being in on an inside joke. It's like everybody's in on this one inside joke, this one time for this one millisecond. So you feel a sense of like relatability, which is a, a word that's been just abused over the past two years by like people out trying to figure out how to like relate, like how do we be relatable? Like it's, but it's real. Like relatability is very, very, very important. But, 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 and I, I hate using these words too, but like, <laughs> like authentic and relatable are yeah. both these like overused words, but a lot of people try to be relatable and it's fake, right? Yeah. And so if you can really say, you know, you, 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 you meet someone and let's say you, you see similar characteristics. Oh, this person's maybe had, had some addictive issues. And then you've, you, you find ways to relate to that in your conversation with the person that's relatable. And that's real. It's authentic to you. And I think that's only possible if you know who you are on, on deep levels, because you can't relate to somebody if you don't know, if you don't relate to yourself. Right. You know what I mean? I know that sounds a little wishy-washy, but no, no. Cause that, but, and that's the point of what, you know, any kind of like self curiosity, whether you're a writer or an artist or a me a popular meme creator, which yeah. is, which is its own art form and, or a video maker or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, so, so again, like walk me through the, the process a little bit. You're where, where are you looking uh, for photos? Uh, this is like a how to a little bit. Yeah. Which I have no problem with. When we yeah. made our app, we made and, it. And by the way, you shouldn't because you're great at it. Anybody else who does this and just tries to copy you is not going to do it like you. They've got to find their own. There's app. nothing I like more than finding a new meme account that I didn't know existed. Yeah. Because it's, so we made an app called Momus, which is a meme making app. And part of the hangup was like, are we going to really give everybody the keys to the king? Like tell them how to do this. And my argument was like, we can tell them where to find the pictures, what to look for, how to write it, what to write. We can tell them everything we know. If they're not funny, then there's no threat. And if they are funny, then we get to laugh. Like it's a, it was a win-win for me. So right, you're not losing your followers no. just because of someone else. This is a, to a billion people on Instagram. That's why I don't understand the credit thing because it's like it takes nothing away from the person who's posting it with the big page and it gives so much to the person that they credit. Like you got to uh, figure if you're – Back before Instagram, it was like the name on the marquee. Everyone wanted to see their name on the marquee. They just wanted one day to see their name in lights. That's the closest most people are going to get to it, but it's like so much bigger because the name on a marquee gets seen by what? A couple of thousand people in a small town, a couple of hundred people. You get reposted by Barstool Sports. Your name or your Instagram handle is being, being seen by millions of people. So to rob people of that is like a little bit... I don't know. That's that's the only part that I don't understand about why people wouldn't give credit because it takes nothing away from you right. at all. Right. So so uh, 
I, 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 let me see. I'm, so I find the pictures on Reddit for the most part. And then I use Momus to, uh, to make them. Where on Reddit? Pics, funny, Photoshop battles, Woof IRL, me IRL, um, awe sometimes. But awe is, is dangerous territory because animal owners are a little crazy sometimes. So, so like, uh, just, there's so many good uh, memes on your page <laughs> now. I'm like, I'm, I'm having the um, uh, choice ambiguity. Analysis paralysis. Um, you know, like here you have like uh, the guy from I forgot what show it was. The mayor, mayor versus that's Parks and Rec. Oh yeah, th Parks that's and Rec. from. Yeah. So he walks into Home Depot and the guy offers him help and he's like, "I know more than you. <laughs> like, don't ask me if I need any help." And then your most recent one I like because it's kind of a riff on this other famous meme is you have a picture of yourself. If this post gets more likes than the world record egg, I will li literally get an egg. Neck, an egg <laughs> neck tattoo. It's got 245,000 likes so far and yeah. 1,700 comments. Yeah. It went a lot further than I thought it would. I don't, I mean, do I want to get a neck tattoo? Not really. Um, it will, well, you know, it, you will, you'll need 18 million to. No, 53. Oh, 53? Yeah, okay. yeah. I just remember when it got passed. Well, what happens Kylie is Jenner. like the, the internet decides something needs to happen. And it just, once you get caught up in that wave, there's no, I mean, there's no stopping it at all. So, so like, I can't. just to describe, describe the world re record egg. So the world record egg is, uh. Maybe is, the most famous Instagram meme, I don't know. For sure the most famous egg. Yeah. Definitely, <laughs> the most famous. So th this was not, not to take anything away from the guy, but it was not a new thing. This helped me beat Kylie Jenner's record. This had been going on for months. Instagram always has these these trends. Like right now, it's these these sex bots that are driving me nuts. They're driving me crazy. They're everywhere. Every post, just they're everywhere. Every account, every whatever. Before the world record egg, it was like you you'd post something and then immediately there would be a bot that would auto populate a comment that says, "I post the same picture of a watermelon every day. Follow me now." Or I post the same picture of a bowling ball every day. Follow me now. That died because that's stupid. Then it became, um, Kylie Jenner has the world record for 18 million likes on Instagram. Help this picture of a hammer beat her world record. Ad infinitum over and over and over again. And for some strange reason, that egg, that account, because there was many eggs trying to beat the world record also. It wasn't like that was the first egg even. You can tell by his name. He's got underscores and three words. Uh. So... For some reason, the internet just got behind this guy. This guy must have like read this secret right before he posted it. I have no idea. I don't well, know. Well, <laughs> and there were a lot of people claiming, is he still anonymous, the world record egg guy? Pretty much, yeah. He's, um, he's, I mean, he's got to figure something out. I'm actually watching and I'm like kind of annoyed by what he's doing because he's doing nothing. I guess maybe he feels paralyzed a little bit because it's such a massive responsibility. I do like what he did with the Super Bowl ad with Hulu and mental health and whatever. Well, what did he do with those? So everybody, the, I think that happened in maybe around, like in in December, sometime yeah, it was just around like, there. It was just like a few months ago. Yeah, so the, the Super Bowl was coming up. Uh -huh. So then the big conversation was, what is this egg account going to do? Because to have 10 million new followers on Instagram is like having 100 million old followers. Like they get the same engagement as The Rock. Right. Because they're all brand new, fresh, engaged accounts. They're high up on the algorithm. They're going to show up. 
if The Rock has, a, not to be morbid, but The Rock has 130 million followers and he's had that many for two years, a significant number, not a significant portion, but a significant number of people that are in that following are dead. Like they're not liking a picture. Right. Just statistically. So to have 10 million brand new followers, super valuable. The guy hit the lottery. I hope he figures it out, but- Right, because I read one article which said if he just unhatches that egg and there's like, a McDonald's logo in it or something like that, he, it's worth $10 million. Like, should, millions, for sure. Uh-huh. He, he could probably get as much for an ad on that page as they did, uh, as they would charge for the Super Bowl. Now, you uh, you didn't say the name, but I have the sense that you know who it is. No, I don't. I don't know. I've, I've spoken to him a couple of times. I really? know it's, it's- Why did a, you speak to him? He was trying to help me get him to promote his egg. Okay. <laughs> and then as soon as he caught, he caught steam- yeah, I couldn't get a hold of the guy. It was crazy, which I understand. I'm not like not mad about it. Well, well, you you had you had some good piggyback ones, which I've seen in articles about the egg, which is the one where the egg's gonna appear on Ellen. Yeah. Um, and the one where um Chris Jenner has a gun, like we're gonna track down oh, the yeah. egg. <laughs> so uh, I just love making people laugh. It's like if I could if I had to choose one thing to do for the rest of my life, that would definitely be it. It's well, always been my number one choice. Well, you're doing it like this. In, you know, everything has its cycles and its waves, but Instagram does seem to be the default place now where people are putting photos, just like Google. For like, sure. Nobody would think to use any other search engine but Google, really. I'm not, I'm not like binging something. I'm Googling it. No, you'd bing nothing. <laughs> right. And, you know, there was a lot of competitors to Instagram. There was, you know, Flickr, Snap, and so on, but Instagram won. Yeah. And uh, so, so this is not going away, which I guess leads to, what made you decide to to quit your job and do this full time? So I I was able. Like, how do you to, make money doing this? Because it's a platform with attention and eyeballs. People will pay for that, for a for a, a moment of that attention. How how like where, where's an example? Because I don't see you promoting anything. So if you go down a couple of posts, I just did a, a a sponsored post for Bumble, who I have an ongoing relationship with. They're a really good company, good people that work over there, good message, good mission statement, the whole nine yards. It's a dating app, but they also have Bumble Biz. And uh, what's Bumble Biz? Bumble Biz is like a business networking mm. app, like LinkedIn with swiping or whatever, mm-hmm. or Bumble dating, but for business. And then they have Bumble BFF, which is like, I think that's probably the least used one out of all of them. I'm not sure, but basically, it's, it's not easy making friends as an adult. So if you move to a new town and you want to meet new people, you go on there and you swipe until you find somebody who looks like they could be a friend. I think it's cute. I think that people more and more are going to be looking for real life experiences off the internet. So which one's this, the, so I'm, I'm looking for, which one's the sponsored post for Bumble? So it's, if you look for a people, look for a picture of people in jail with their hands through the bars. It was not long ago. It was like less than two weeks ago. Okay. Uh, Chad, Brad. Looking, looking. Um, uh, Hold on. Here's here's your, your your think tank with baked by Melissa. Oh, you're way past it. Okay, hold you're on. too far. Too far. So ba- I, I remember what it was. Chad said, "What are you in for, bro?" <laughs> and Brad goes, "I sent a dick pic." And Chad goes, "That's illegal." And Brad goes, "It is now," because Bumble is fighting to get legislation passed that would make it illegal or a crime to send an unsolicited lewd image, huh. which is crazy that it's not a crime, but it's not. There's no law around it at all. You can't walk up to somebody on the street and pull your pants down and show your junk without 
at least ruffling a few feathers. If they don't call the cops, they could, and you could be put in jail for indecent exposure. But online, I've gotten unsolicited dick pics. It's <laughs> jarring, dude. It's like it changes your day a little bit. You're like, what did I, what, what is my life? That, that's funny. So, and then, oh yeah, I see it right now. Um, yeah, and then do you say this is sponsored by uh, Bumble? Yeah. Okay, I see Bumble's working hard to pass legislation. Um, yeah, it's got, it's got, you know, almost 40,000 likes. So they must be happy with that. Do, yeah, they, do, yeah. they, do they measure it? Do they see like after you put, put this, like a spike in downloads or anything? Um, I don't know. I'm supposed to be launching something with them. So there's there's a lot of changes coming up in my life, which I'm, I'm good with. Um, they're all good. I have, I saw your guy wearing a scribed sweatshirt. Yeah. So I'm working with that company on a book called Go to Bed Angry. Oh, uh, so with Tucker? Yeah. Um, I'm going to see Tucker next week also. You know, they're all in Austin. Yeah. And he, Tucker is an old, so Tucker and Ryan, just so you know, they helped me market and plan out my book, Choose Yourself. Cool. Uh, and we've been friends like literally for like 10 years, for a long time. And uh, we've worked together on a whole bunch of projects. I almost was involved in that company, but decided just, you know, stick to the friend level, not the investing level. That's good. Yeah, I think they do a good job over there. I've, oh, I've yeah, had a good, a ex job. good experience so far. So, uh, so what I'm doing now is my Instagram is not really growing, which I'm fine with because it's enough like already. What do I, what do I want? How many, how many more followers do I want? Well, actually, you know? that's a good point. Do you feel the need, like, like, like fuck Jerry's got 14 million. Do you feel the need, oh, I'm only at 1.7 million, but I'm better than fuck Jerry. I should have at least 5 million. Um, I used to feel this obsessive, incessant need for growth. Now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create fans out of those followers. So if I have 1.7 million followers on Tank Sinatra and 1.1 million fans on Tank's Good News, how many of those people can I create, turn into fans that will come see me speak, that will buy a book, that will support me, that will whatever, so, you know? So, so, you know, with each, there's an interesting thing because with each fan, there's some intangible value, right? Like, so you know, for instance, what their advertising value is because Bumble is willing to pay you essentially per fan. They look at your number of fans yeah. and this is how you negotiate what the price is. Mm -hmm. But then it, then there's like a hierarchy. So there's kind of an intangible fan, which you don't know who they are. You see their Instagram name and you just see that list and mm -hmm. you can broadcast to them. Yeah. Then, uh, but you can't even segment that list. You can't email them. You don't know who they are. You yeah, don't, yeah. You don't really know the demographics. Then there's the next level down, which is an email that someone gives you for free. Yeah. And those emails are higher value than the uh, sort of anonymous followers. Sure. Then there's an email list where every email on the list has paid you something. Yeah. Um, so you have their, you know that they, they've raised their hand and said, we like his content so much, um, we're willing to pay. And then there's further more valuable email names where they've paid a lot of money. So you yeah. have low end and high end products. Yeah. And so it's almost like you want to create a giveaway where people then have to go and give their email address in order to get the giveaway. Yeah. Now you've got that free list and that now you have like between Instagram and like some huge email list where you're converting your call it converting your your fans to email followers. Now it's like a, a business. You're like a uh, essentially not only an advertising business like where you are here, but also a direct response marketing business. Yeah. And it changes the nature of things. Yeah. So now that I started doing stand up and I have the book coming out and uh, the podcast is going and I have this thing with Bumble that I'm going to be doing. 
I don't know. I didn't, I, I like just bristled against the fact that email was so important and I feel kind of dumb now, but I'm on board now. I get it. I understand. It's never emails. too late because email is no, not going away. Of course not. Yeah. But, but by the way, you know, what's even more valuable than email is phone numbers. So, uh, the open rate on an, on a direct response email campaign, I don't know. It was probably like 10%, 20%. Yeah. The open rate on SMS texts where they've given you their phone number. Hey, yeah. you could send us texts. That's like ninety three percent. Wow. So so it might be you might be right, but it, and it might be that text. Like my kids don't use email. If I email them, I might never hear from them. Yeah. again. I have to text them. Yeah, yeah. There's there's something about being able to reach people, and Instagram gives you that ability to an extent. But I I don't get one point seven million impressions on every post. Right. I know that's that. What, that's why it's uh, every everything is a different level. This is Instagram's a little more intangible because it's a little harder to track. Like if you, let's say for instance, you're selling something on Instagram, you don't really know which of your followers are the buyers. Like it's harder to track. Yeah. So there's less analysis. There's less things you can do with that person. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying this in an insidious way, like they want your content. Mm -hmm. So if you provide more avenues for them to get it and get it more directly, you're also providing a service for them and you're making, and you're building a, a, a broader business. Yeah. So, uh, um, but yeah, so th things are, are are changing. Are you getting more advertisers or? So the the quality of advertiser that's coming to me is higher now. Mm -hmm. So I I held out on the advertising for a long time. I didn't do one ad until I hit a million. I think. I think that's really smart. Yeah, I didn't want to just. It wasn't worth it for me for two hundred bucks to bother my fans with a you picture of something. Because anytime someone's paying you, they're paying you to dilute your value. Yeah, <laughs> that they're not paying you for space. They're paying you for you to sell out a little bit that's it's you're literally selling out yeah. to someone else yeah that's why i like working with bumble because they're they understand i don't want to do not only do um would i not work with like uh, another dating app if i'm working with them i, I don't really want to do other ads because it's like how many ads is this guy gonna do yeah but i will i've worked with comedy central i've worked with um I'm working with a company called LifeProof on something. It has to be cool for me to want to work with it. Like LifeProof is doing this giveaway where they're giving one person $25,000 for a gap year. Oh, that's that's cool. I think that's great. I have S a campaign. Sign my daughter up for that. I have a can. Yeah, right. I have a, uh, a campaign coming out with Mike's Hard Lemonade, which was hard for me to do because of my sobriety. I didn't really want to do yeah. it. But after talking to people outright, I, I rejected the idea. As soon as she emailed me, I'm like, I don't work with alcohol brands. I appreciate you thinking of me, but it wouldn't be a good fit. She goes, it's not that. Like, we're not asking you to promote. Like, we have something else. So I did one ad for Natural Light last year for the Super Bowl because they were giving $2 million away to people with student loans. Like, how I don't want to be so righteous that I'm, like, holding that back for people. So I, I did the ad. I took the money. I donated the money. I didn't tell them that. I probably shouldn't say that, but... Okay. But Mike's Hard Lemonade is doing this nationwide good news launch where they're going to be putting physical newsstands with physical papers in all the different major markets in the cities. Oh, like, that's great. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm so happy to be a part of it because it's so positive. And it's, and it's so, related to your brand of Tanks Good News. It's going to be a Tanks Good News paper, basically, hmm. is what it's going to be. But they're going to print them. They're going to, you know, I have to pick the stories and get them all the, the words and everything. But... I can't wait. I'm so excited. So this real this is your career now. Like your yeah. your days of fencing are over. Like now, I mean, if I had to, I would, but I hope not. <laughs> uh, like, you know, you're doing Instagram. You're doing you know this tanks good news stuff, which is uh, which is also on Instagram. You know, you're doing a podcast, uh, the the think tank. Uh, I love I love also the the kind of 
you know, the stuff you're doing with the stand-up comedians like Dan Soder. And um, as you probably know or might know, I've had a lot of stand-up comedians on my podcast. I do stand-up comedy. Yeah. We're, si we're sitting in my club. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, and you're doing stand-up now. Yeah. So how's that? How's that going? A lot better than I thought it was going to go. Well, you're here's the thing. You're funny, right? So you have material. Yeah. You've got good physical presence. So I don't know how many, how much public speaking you've done, but I've seen you do stand up. Like, I can't tell you just started. Yeah. And so you have good physical presence. The crowd likes you, you know, because you kind of address right away the elephant in the room. Like you're really like Huge. jacked up, and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, it was really funny actually the way you introduced yourself. It was like because it enlightened me about something that no that you said no girls ever come up to you and say oh man you're jacked but it's just guys come up to you and say how much do you bench every day and so that's <laughs> funny and it's a, and it's enlightening cuz i'm like not obviously exercising at all and uh i didn't know that i just assumed the reason guys no. pump iron is get attention from girls that is why it just doesn't work out like that yeah <laughs> i didn't know that so, but so so it, it kind it kind of combined all these things which is um, it's something the audience wants to know. Mm -hmm. It's funny, and it's a way of introducing yourself. Yeah. So, and then you get, you get into material, and then you have a lot of material because you have this, you know, doing these captions has forced you into a discipline of one-liners, of creating one-liners. And so, the, like, the photo is almost a premise, and the caption's a punchline. For, yeah, for real. I, I, I tried not to do that for whatever weird reason. I didn't want to bring memes on stage but I've done it recently a bunch of times. And when they work, it's like, like I have a joke about after I address how big I am, I say, I know what I look like. I have mirrors, like, come on, you know? I think you heard this joke on, on, on a Monday night. Yeah, yeah. I said, half the time, I think I know what I look like and like I'm doing all right for a recovering fat kid. And then the other half the time, like I went to a Halloween party dressed as the Incredible Hulk and everyone kept telling me how much they like my Shrek costume. So I don't know, you know? Well, I'll tell you another one you have here. It was, you, sometimes you do tweets and I'm assuming it, it tweets are probably my guesses are like a focus group for you. So you see which ones get the most engagement. Now they you are. screenshot and yep. and and put on. So you have this one's definitely a bit. You have you uh, and you, there's lots of different ways you can go. You can run with this as a bit. It seems, but you have uh, your friend says when I woke up, I meditated, did 50 push-ups, and went for a 30 minute walk. Me when I woke up, I spent an hour just waking up. <laughs> Like it seems like that could be easily a bit. Yeah. Or and you could all there's all these <laughs> things like you you know it's like the latest thing in like CEO porn is morning routines. Yeah. So, so you can kind of you can go really deep like just making fun of all of that. Like that's funny CEO porn. <laughs> yeah. So so and that's just like you don't like here you're 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 successful you're choosing your own path you're created you've created a career out of like it's like a magic act and you know and and yet and so you you see so you're qualified to make fun of like all these people's like oh i juice and then i meditate and then blah 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 and that maybe there's not what you do i don't know but no. uh, but it's funny you know who gave me permission to wake up at a normal ungodly hour a not ungodly hour tim ferris yeah who i think is probably one of the most admirable well researched just disciplined, diligent people. I've, I mean, I've never met him, but I've been familiar with his work for a long sure. time. I remember hearing him on his podcast talk about, he was like, I, sometimes I wake up at eight, eight thirty, nine. I don't know, it doesn't matter. And well, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Everyone says you gotta wake up at five if you're gonna be successful. No, and and Tim obviously is, is very successful. I know Tim very well. He's been on the podcast three or four times, something like that. I've been on his podcast. But um, 
I think there is some misconception of his work. When he says the four-hour work week, he's not saying only work four hours. He's saying whatever you think you're being busy with, with your 80 hours, yeah. you can compress the four hours so that you could then spend all this other time doing other things you love. You can have lots of four-hour chunks. But again, you're right. He, there's no... He does have his routines, like he has a way of exercising, he has a particular kind of diet, uh, and he is a big believer in in sleep health, but I don't think he's the type of person who says, you got to wake up the same hour every every day and, and yeah. so on. Yeah, yeah. well, that's the, when I read his book, that's what I got out of it, because I was like, I'm not going to do any of this stuff, but it did change the way that I viewed how I spend my time, especially now in today's day and age where if you're smart, that's that. That's the thing about making a living on Instagram is you have these guys who have these big pages and they can't figure out how to make a living out of it because all they do is grab content. Not the fat Jewish and fuck Jerry because those guys are doing great, but accounts like my size, they're not making a living on it because they're not creative. If you're going to make money, like you said, it's a magic act. Like you have to be creative about how you're going to make your money. And if you're not creative on your page and your page is not actually a reflection of your creativity, but your willingness to dig and scour the internet for content, you're not, you're not going to make it. You can, and it's been a challenge, but it's a challenge that I, I mean, I'm totally up for, and I love it. I love figuring out how, how am I going to set myself up for the next six months now or for the next year? And then once I do, it's like, now I can really focus on the creativity because now I don't have to worry about money. Man, I feel like, I feel like I could, I could brainstorm and just give you like a thousand ideas on that. <laughs> but that'll be another, that'll be another time. But, uh, uh, you know, now between, between Instagram and standup, standup's like one of those things that could get obsessively addictive. Like, do you feel that? Yeah, it's kicking. Cause, cause, cause I notice on your podcast, you're bringing on more and more comedians. It's kicking in for sure, which I'm glad about. I prayed for that. I, I, I wished for that for so long. Cause I knew, I saw people that like, funny is totally relative, but I, I felt like maybe I could do a better job than this person that I see. Nobody major, but like I'd be out doing open mics and I'd be like, this guy's getting booked. Like I could get booked then, but I didn't, I didn't have the, I didn't get bit by the bug. And getting booked also is a whole, it, it's, I think on, in the long run, it's a meritocracy. And in the short run, it could be frustrating or in any one yeah. particular week or month could be frustrating. Yeah, for sure. You just got to be willing to play the long game, which I am. Yeah, I definitely am. I'm not concerned at all with how things are going on stage right now. I'm just concerned that I'm getting on stage and then I'm getting off. I'm not rating myself. I'm not grading myself. I'm not grading the crowd. Do you take videos of yourself? I record audio. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm just, I'm trying to enjoy it. And they have a saying in recovery, if you go to the bar, they, they say not to go hang out at bars because if you go to the barbershop enough times, you get a haircut. Mm -hmm. Obviously- it doesn't apply to me, but yeah. <laughs> I should go to the barbershop more often. But if, if I figured if I could just keep doing it, I would eventually get bit by the bug and now I'm bit. And now, now I really want to see what I have in, in my depths, like in my soul. Do I have something to say? Can I make it interesting? Can I make it funny? Can I do that for an hour? Can I sustain that? Like that's my next frontier. And it's something I've always wanted to, to tackle, but I had the nerves I couldn't get past. And it's connected. Like, so, so. I've been doing stand-up for like four or five years, which, but I've been doing public speaking for 20 and, yeah. and, and writing humorously for, for 20 or 30. And comedy somehow is such a hard, difficult skill. Mm -hmm. It has 10 x my public speaking. 
Oh which, yeah. And and not vice versa. I'm trying to actually do vice versa, which is take the things I learned from public <laughs> speaking and bring it into stand-up because I'm such a confident public speaker and, and people always enjoy it. But it's hard to go in that direction. Whereas stand-up, there's so many difficult skills that you have to learn simultaneously. It applies to public speaking almost immediately. Yeah. I, I remember when I did stand-up when I was 23, that's when I kind of got into sales. Cause I, and that's when I started meeting girls. Yeah, because it helps sales. It helps with- What could you possibly be scared of if you've done stand-up comedy in a sales meeting? Asking for money? And also with stand-up, you learn- you learn how to read uh, strangers very quickly, the people yeah. in the audience, like within microseconds. In an emergency yeah. fashion, yeah. <laughs> and you learn how to kind of kind of persuade them to your way of thinking a little bit. Like you're either you're in control on the stage or they're in the control on the audience. Yeah. And that helps with sales. You know what? It even helps. I noticed one time I was on CNBC. It even helped there to kind of, there were two anchors and three panelists along with me. And it kind of helped to, take control and not control is the wrong word, but take, you know, take the, the frame it, yeah. it, there. So it's, it's, it's an interesting skill. So I love the, the pursuit of it. If you can, yeah, I guess you're right. Control and words like dominate, they have a bad, a bad rap, but if you can command a group or attention, there's never, it's, if you do it in the right way and with the right motivations, there's usually no resentment. They're thank They're like, thank God, you know, like, thank God this guy took the reins. Yeah. Even though they're supposed to be in control, they're the anchor. It's I'm sure it's nice for them to have some guy come on that they don't have to like pull, you know, it's like pulling teeth trying to get him to talk. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I think it was Brian Regan uh, said on to Jerry Seinfeld on Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. He said, I don't, I don't try to make the audience laugh. I try, um, when I'm up on stage, I try to make me laugh. Yeah. And because if I'm not laughing what's the point in this like yeah. why would i even do this if yeah. i'm not uh having fun and then he says if the audience is actually silent and meaning he's bombing but uh -huh. he's he's having fun himself yeah then he pictures himself in the audience and then he's just directly addressing himself <laughs> laughing so in the audience <laughs> and so and that kind of you know everybody's got their own little tricks to figure this out but i i found that to be very interesting that is very interesting he's a master yeah well, who are your favorite comedians brian regan <laughs> I love him. I've always loved him. His joke on his first CD um, about ox and oxen and box and boxing and the moose, you know that joke? No. Oh, man. Well, I'll, you'll have to listen to it after. I don't want to butcher it, but I think it's probably the most perfectly crafted joke all right, I'm gonna listen to of that all one. time. Yeah, it's, oh. it's like, I like jokes where you feel like maybe, like as, the, as an audience member, if you're half-witted and you're like halfway funny, I want people to feel like I have a couple of jokes where there's so the buildup is like three to five seconds. And by the time I get to the third to last word, I can see people's eyes because they know what I'm going to say, but they're not, they don't even know that they know yet. And then I say it and then they laugh. Those are my favorite jokes because it's like, just makes you feel funny. And like Brian was saying, like you just said, when you feel funny, everybody's laughing. Yeah. There's something about that that just, I've never seen a comedian. My my worst fear is to be a comedian that looks like they're not having fun on stage, which I've seen, yeah, even the, if they're and, really good. And the audience is an x-ray machine. They know if you're scared. They know if you're uh, just not authentic, either you're just doing an act. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, and yeah, if they're not having fun, I mean, I've seen comedians do that where they specifically say, I am not having fun. But the way they do it is funny, and then they're having fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can be a great comedic writer and comedic... Um, a, a stand up and not being enjoying it. Yeah. Which is, I don't want to do that. I wouldn't, 
you know, I wouldn't work. I don't, I want, I don't want to start working now to be at a place in 20 years where I'm miserable doing what I do. And, you know, so Jay, you were giving me the rap. Do we have a hard rap? Is that, it was two? It's about seven, it's about almost seven o'clock. So I just want to ask him two more questions. So, so you mentioned in, in your standup, and this is what I also love about your standup. So just by way of background, I have these insane, insane stories from my life that I'm now trying to, to mine for the, the standup. Mm -hmm. But and you've been getting interesting stories from your life as an Instagrammer. And I yeah. like how you're able to kind of translate that into stand-up. But you talk on the stage about this seven-year-old kid who just makes yeah. uh, videos of himself playing with toys. And he made $22 million last year. Like, And he made $11 million the year before. So, so is that just like random? Like what, what happened? Does he have a whole professional crew like who planned this? Is this like so you know how boy bands were created, you know, in the nineties? Yeah. So, you know who, um, I mean, not who, you know of like the unboxing phenomenon on YouTube, yeah. right? Where people will like, I guess for adults, this is the only thing I can think of. Like for adults who can't afford the new thing, they want to watch somebody enjoy it. So if you're a kid and you don't have this particular toy, you want to watch a kid play with it. And I that's, guess that's what he what, does. I guess that's why, like guys like Dan Blitzarian, for instance, yeah, is a, vicarious he, pleasure. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but, how did he do it? And no other seven. It was just that he was first, or he's the egg man. I don't know. See, were just, there other kids doing that? And, and, and oh, like, there's a ton. So, how do you think he broke out? I think that so consistency and authenticity, which I, I said I think about a lot. In his case, I mean, he has no choice but to be authentic. He's seven, so he doesn't know how to do anything except be himself. Consistency, content, over and over and over again. Because if you put out one piece of content and you go viral, that's pretty much the worst thing that could possibly happen to you if you want to make a career out of it. Yeah. It feels good in the moment, but that was your one shot. So I prefer the chiseling away at people's attention where finally they're like, Man, I see Tank Sinatra on a lot of these memes that is his watermark. Who is this guy? Then they look me up and they go, oh, but I don't want to like buy their attention with the PR person being on whatever. I want to like, I want to earn it and I want them to think it was their idea to follow me. So I think with him, he just put out a video every single day for years. I mean, he's seven, so how many years? Because <laughs> you really have been doing it. I think he was like four or so when he started. And now he's seven, so it's like three years. But for the first year, he probably put out a video every day. I mean, his dad is very heavily involved, obviously. Yeah, and he must have a business manager. He's making twenty-two uh, million. They're so crushing it. They man. must do product placement or whatever. Yeah, they're killing it. He makes. So I listened to um, NPR actually did a story about the whole fuck Jerry thing, mm -hmm. um, and they were talking about Ryan and how he. Uh, Ryan's a seven-year-old kid. Ryan is a seven-year-old kid. He made about twenty-one million dollars from YouTube last year and $1 million from the product placement. So it's almost like at, at that point, if I was him or if I was his dad, I'd be like, I don't even want to deal with you people. We're making $21 million off of just passive audience, people watching our videos. Why would you get involved with a company that is going to give you a hard time about how he played with the toy and you got to send an invoice? It's probably not even worth it for him to send an invoice to these people, yeah. you know? So, so interesting that that world exists and it's only going to keep getting bigger but to find your particular unique niche in it is is difficult. You, is you, yeah. Like, yes, it's easy now for this kid to make twenty two million dollars. That is trivially easy. But to be that kid is unimaginably hard. <laughs> or to think, uh, or to plan to be that kid. Yeah, I can guarantee you, they did not make videos with the intention of making money. 
Yeah. I can almost guarantee it. I don't want to guarantee anything, but maybe they thought of it as a possibility, maybe somewhere down the line, potentially, maybe they'll make a little money, a little extra money, but nobody I've ever met that's successful on the internet starts out with the intention of making money. That's so funny. Um, Just bad motivation. Well, and did you did you start out with when you started your account? I was good. I had actually, for the first time in my life, was fully in my heart and soul committed to my career selling feds. I liked it. I liked who I worked with. I could come home and have lunch with my kids. I could get up late. I could go to the gym. I could go to the doctor. I could go get my dry. I was out on the road all day and I made enough money to survive and then some. I was ready to do that forever. I was really ready to sell fence for the rest of my life and be totally fine. And then I started this thing and it just, it blew up. And then the offers, the like legitimate offers started coming in. How many times do you post a day? Um, it's anywhere, like right now I'm actually slowing down a little bit because something's going on with Instagram. My account is not growing. Since I posted that egg picture, I've gained followers for the first time in months. So I think when you're starting out, the name of the game is to post every day consistently. Once a day or twice a day? I was posting, depends. I mean, there's a, there's a thing with being private on Instagram right now too, which I can't do because I'm verified. So if I mm -hmm. go private, I'll lose the verification. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I want more, a bigger account or a blue check. I'm trying to figure it out <laughs> as we go. But if you're public, if you're public probably, and you're, and you're big already, like I think Instagram is pretty much maxed out with users, which is why everybody across the board is not seeing growth. Because for the last two years, I think something like, I used to go watch The Rock and Kim Kardashian's and Taylor Swift's growth. I'd go on Social Blade and see how many followers they gained in that Social day. Social Blade? Social Blade, yeah. And they would gain like all of them. Every single one of the big, big top 10 accounts would gain 100,000 followers a day. So I could only guess that about 100,000 people are signing up for Instagram a day, maybe 120 or 130 or whatever it is. So now even The Rock is growing at like a few thousand which means that much fewer people are signing up every day than were even a year ago. So that trickles down to everybody. So I'm not getting, I think everybody who follows who they follow now is set. And in order to earn a follower now, you gotta like really be lucky or deserve it or earn it or whatever. I have no idea. I'm trying to figure it out. But I, I like, I like, and this will, this will be the, the last question, but I like just the mental process of what you're doing. Like, you know, you know, it's a, it's a different kind of humor than stand up, than writing, than let's say television writing or other kinds of humor. It's, you know, finding this picture that somehow resonates with you, like you, like you described earlier in this layered fashion, and then finding a caption that twists the picture enough, yep. still hits one of these layers and it's also still authentic to you. And it might be, I, it reminds me of like, it's, it, it's usually two opposing concepts that meet together in a funny way. Like that, that yep. one we described earlier where the guy from Parks and Rec is in Home Depot, but you talk about the gym and both things important to you. Yeah. And, um, but it's two different concepts that, that are intersecting and that's a little bit of the humor. So just in preparation for this podcast, I decided, okay, I'm going to try to see, to, to emulate what I think is your <laughs> process. So I created a bad meme. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> see, I, I know, I know it's bad because I don't know. It was just first one. And I, and I'm, I was, did this like an hour before I was meeting you, but, um, the star Wars trailer came out today. Yeah. It's very heard. important to me. Yeah. And my daughters are very important to me. So, so I combined the two concepts. So I took a clip from, I took a clip from the star Wars 
uh, video. I mean, I took a screenshot and then put a caption on it that related to it's two different concepts that are important to me yeah. combined. That's good. I would give that a, a B plus, B maybe. Cause I, I don't, cause, uh, cause I would write, I have a thing with the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Tell me. So I just like the white background with the words above it. Okay. But that's not for everybody. This is just for somebody who, see who's this is going to hit. You have 80, how many, how many followers you have? Uh, on, on Instagram, 61,000. 61,000. So well, without any, like I've never tried or I don't build my Instagram account. Right. I would, I would bet that somebody has to have today had this happen to them. Yeah, like have their like literally, they went to go pick their daughter up, and their daughter was like, <laughs> you know, like so. Yeah. When they see that, that's going to touch them, and that's how it happens, one by one by one, and that's how you build this trust with people, just like with stand up. Yeah, when you do your stand up, people get to know you. Well, and, and let me ask you this: I think I use too many words. No, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. And then also, this is from the Star Wars trailer, but it just came out, so maybe it's. I feel it's recognizable as Star Wars because she's holding a lightsaber. It is, yeah. But it's it's kind of a blurry scene a little bit. Yeah. So that might affect the aesthetic as well. I don't know. See, I see me looking at this picture. I don't know how I would phrase it, but this picture says to me more that when I was a kid and my mom would take us somewhere, it didn't matter where I was. I never wanted to leave. So for me, this is like a kid being a pain in the ass, and you're trying to get them to go, and they're just not having it, and they're off. Yeah. And now you got to get them in the car somehow. That's what I see there. But that's the beauty of the memes is that right, everyone- have, And also because you have little kids now. Exactly. Whereas I have I'm not picking anybody up at school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right, it's funny. Um, I enjoyed I enjoyed the mental process. It made, it got, I felt like different neurons were firing. Which, that's awesome. Which I enjoy. That's so funny. So, uh, Tank Sinatra, uh, uh, there's, so, there's so many different ways people can find you. One is- uh, uh, first off, you wrote a book, "Happy Is the New Rich," which is like uh, a lot of inspirational quotes that were that are, in fact, inspirational. And I don't know if you came up with them. I had never seen these quotes anywhere else. So yeah, those, good book. That was ten years of me suffering, writing down every, any kind of glint of light that I had in my brain. That's good. You're you're a thinker. You have also the Instagram account uh, Tanks Good News, which is kind of like like here's an example: twenty year old raising five young siblings is gifted a car by a local sheriff's office. So you have these kind of yeah. nice things that are real and true that people don't read about because the newspapers are focused on fear and greed. Yeah. Um, then you have, of course, your main account, which is Tank Sinatra with the blue check mark. Yeah. And you have all these hilarious memes. You also have the podcast. Uh, think tank, the Think Tank podcast, and you're doing stand up New York all around, all around town. Yep. Thanks. Congratulations on everything. First off, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, man. It was a real pleasure to talk to. You. I appreciate Same it. Same here. Thank, Thank you. you. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.